welcome to Dramas with a Side of Kimchi, the fangirl party every drama fan wants to join. Grab your kimchi and face masks, and let's chat Asian dramas. I'm Carrie the Mockney. I'm K-Muse. And I'm Drama Geek. And K-Drama Jen from a distance, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I can be two Jens at one time. <laughs> K-Drama Jen is flying over Wyoming, according to her right now, you know, or at yeah. least a few minutes ago, and... She was all like, well, I really wanted to do the podcast, but I can't because I'm in the air. So I'm going to put my answers in and you guys could just say what I thought. And so when you hear the ghost of K-drama, Jen, uh, that's what's happening. <laughs> all righty. And of course, don't forget that we have a Patreon page. We have a monthly episode we release exclusively for our patrons. Our patrons also get our invitation to our Discord server where we chat daily about the dramas we're watching, participate in group watches, and support each other from support each other in our drama addictions, not oh, from not our from. drama addictions. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, you can find that link in the show notes. And you might want to come join soon because we have just I have just kicked off my favorite pet project with which is the end of year awards for the Discord server. And so the arguments are getting hot and heavy. Well, no, not super hot and heavy, but there's a lot of people voting for dramas that I haven't seen, like My Dearest, mm-hmm. for things. And so we just, we need more input. So come oh, bring your input in. Go look at that. I've been checked out of most things this last week. So I have mm-hmm. not, and you opened it, I think, at the beginning of the week. So I have not mm-hmm. uh, gone into Discord very much, especially since I haven't had time to watch hardly any dramas either. So I was like, I get a little overwhelmed. Where I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so much discussion going on, but I haven't watched <laughs> it. So I can't listen to or read the discussion. But yeah. yeah. But I have watched the drama that we are discussing today. We are doing the second half of Castaway Diva. We're doing six through 12. It was a 12 episode nice uh episode count to be able to split into two so we did the first half we aired that in december and then we're airing this in january and it has finished up it's been a couple of weeks but i saved the last two episodes um for right before last week week's recording and then we're recording it this week so it's been pretty fresh on my mind i'm excited to talk about it and we're just going to get into it and I saved the last six for yesterday. So I am <laughs> so aware of what's going on. Whereas I watched it, I was able to hold off for like two weeks. And then I was like, dang, I got to finish because I had to know what was happening. So my, I will do my best. I took notes. But you did. You best. did. You're more on top of it than I am. Uh, also, just a quick note. My voice is like messed up like 80% of the rest of the America right now from what I hear so if I'm coughing or I sound weird that is why unfortunately this is lingering forever so and on that note let's start with our our review uh so we left off and we kind of it was like right before Kehoe comes out and identifies himself so we don't have a question on who's who and we learned the backstory of him, his brother, and his mother's escape after after all of the events on the ferry. And so kind of like, what were we thinking about this? I thought it was a very good story because I was wondering how we didn't know that the mom existed, how the he got separated from his family. I felt that we really got a very satisfying act- answer. I love that the whole 
put the address on the back of the was it a phone booth or a mailbox mm-hmm. that was very mm-hmm. cool I thought that yeah. was really unique a unique way for him to find his family and why there was that separation and issues because I was kind of wondering that when I saw that there were two brothers and the dad and that they were all a family for so long and I'm like what is going on here so it was a great great explanation on all of that whole story arc and they're all just so smart which they have to be because evil dad is like he's cunning he he was hard to work around and we'll talk about that more later I'm sure but just the the way that they maneuvered their escape and made sure that they were all able to reunite in Seoul and just not Seoul, close to Seoul, wherever they were, and just how they pulled it all off. I was just, yeah, I'm with you. It was very different. It was very, very intriguing. And I loved that they were able to pull it off. For a while there, I was a bit annoyed at the like focus on or like just the the game of like who's who. Mm-hmm. But when the re- like and I think it was Kate Drabajan who's not here, but she was like, you don't know who it is. Are you not intelligent? Like she was was mean. (laughs) She was trying to be as nice as possible, but Kiho was who they implied from Mm -hmm. the beginning. So they weren't really playing that many games. And I think it's to um, end the actor's credit that I think a lot of people were like, but I love him as like, cause he was such a sweet guy and he really showed his acting talents in this show. And so I think having two guys who were so likable um, and both obviously liked her um, mm-hmm. that, but by the end of the show, I think it's really an important thing. If you haven't watched it, which I assume that you're not listening to this, if you haven't watched it, because it's all spoilers, we didn't, clarify that earlier but everything is a spoiler because we watched all of it if you're watching if you're listening to the second episode you've watched it all um but it's this this story was about the family it wasn't really a romance I mean it was a romance but it wasn't a romance driven drama it was a family driven drama and I loved the reveal of who Kiho was I loved that it showed how um protective his older brother was, even though he didn't like remember it. And it explained a lot of their, like his weird obsession with being with his brother Mm -hmm. and all of that. Like, again, he didn't necessarily remember things, but there's that deep down, like protective, um, really bonded, um, which happens a lot in these types of situations with domestic violence of just bonded to, to each other as children, protecting each other, trying to protect their mom, all of that. Like they did this, story with the family so well um and really brought about like had me loving it by the end where in the middle I was a little bit like I don't know do I like this show do I not like this show um and Jen would like to say that she can not I'm gonna like (laughs) she's in Hawaii she can't join she's not quite there yet Wyoming is where where she's over I guess (laughs) apparently right now um so don't feel sorry for her that she's not here um but she can't stop thinking about how difficult it must have been to live as a completely different person. Mm. And that the stepdad who is, is also one of my favorite people in this show made a huge sacrifice for this family. And I love him so much because of this. Um, that's Jen that's saying that, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but I echo it as drama geek that like he really was, 
uh, such a great uh, dad. And as like some of the the scenes that they have in the last two episodes, just really hammer that in. Like he was their father and mm-hmm. he loved them dearly. So I, again, the, the reveal of Kehoe, I felt like it went really well, explained some things and just kind of brought the the brother's relationship kind of an a de- another layer of understanding of what they were going through. Mm-hmm. And I have to back, back Jen up too that that stepdad was a pure saint, just yeah. such a good, good man. I love having characters like that, that like there's nothing wrong. He's not like a Mary Sue, you know, he's not flawless, right. Right. but he's just, he's good. And that's his defining characteristic. And I love that. Yeah. And I love that I was watching the show and I'm like, oh, it kind of feels like different from what this writer's done in the past. And, you know, it's a lot of the other shows have been, there's always been the family element and the found family element, but also they've been very dramatic, very romantic. I like that uh, Drama Geek said, you know, this is, it's not, the romance isn't the focus. And if you go into the show with that outlook, it's much better because the first half I was like, okay, who's she in love with? But mm-hmm. the second half, it's like, okay, I know that Drama Geek's already said it's the show about the family's journey. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to take it for that. And I'm not looking for the romance. And I once I settled my mind around that, I really liked it a lot better, to mm-hmm. be perfectly honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I didn't have that, okay, I want this super dramatic romantic moment. And because you get the small romantic moments, but it's not that extreme romance that I'm used to from this writer. Mm-hmm. But the family story arcs were so good that mm-hmm. it totally made up for it. So Yeah. I mean, it's basically the formation and preservation of a found family. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we could probably go on that vein forever. <laughs> <laughs> but we should also focus on the other aspect of the story. So we have different stages of fame in our three family hill singers. And so what does the show have to say about fame and following your dream? I want to say, first of all, that I actually, it hit me the other day. I was talking to one of my other friends and I said, Castaway Diva, the title actually applies to both Moka and to Yun Ranju. Because Ranju was, she was cast away. Mm-hmm. The CEO cast her off. And so she was a diva that had been cast away. Whereas Moka, she was a castaway who was also a diva became a diva that was her dream and so now i'm sitting here thinking so how does that apply to moka substitute i can't remember her name right now the i'd have the, to look uh, it up the, she's the popular one she's yeah. the one that's making all the money so but she fears be, being cast away becoming right. a castaway yeah. diva and so i was like that's i mean i don't know if it was intentional or not but it does work that the title applies to all three in different aspects and i was like huh that's cool so anyway As to what the show says about fame and following your dream, I mean, if you look solely at Mocha, then that's like the straightforward, you know, that was her one goal and she just got sidetracked for 15 years because, you know, stranded on an island. And then, but then Ranju, it all, it kind of showed that fame was out of her hands or following her dream was out of her hands once she trusted the CEO and made that contract with him. Because he did everything in his power to undermine her career to so that he could maintain control of the company. And then for the other singer, it's just she's ruled by fear. That's why she's so mean. Because she's afraid of turning into the into Ranju, who lost everything. So uh, Mo Ray? Mo Ray yeah, or Mo Ra? Mo, it's Un Moray. 
Umore. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So Umore is afraid of turning into Ronju. And so I think the show kind of is showing a lot of different aspects of how fame can affect people and how it's not fully in anyone's control. Well, and also your idea of what um, success and fame are. Mm-hmm. Because for, I liked how with, um, oh, oh goodness, what's the main girl's name? Mocha. Mocha. Fame for her was like getting to do what she loved. You know, it wasn't all the glory. She she wanted that too, but that wasn't mm-hmm. her, how she looked at success. Whereas the other two are always after the certain level of fame and once they lose that level which everyone it's just like the same as aging you know everyone's going to have their heyday and then maybe they're a little less popular if they're lucky they become a legend like um like they talk about later on and so it's really interesting how their outlooks on fame changed as the story went on and as they hung out with our castaway girl um so yeah so i i really liked how they worked this story arc as well i liked that the three women through different parts of it like they did have to learn to like not turn on each other Mm because i you know the the uh ranju like she didn't trust the younger one and didn't treat her the way that maybe she should have. And so kind of created that like fear in the younger um, artist and Mm -hmm. that it maybe if they had had more of the type of relationship that Ranju and Moka had, that it would have been a bit easier. Although having your CEO not back you up and not like, you know, be there for you and kind of push you out of the way when he thinks that you're, you're a liability to the company, um, didn't help anything. But I think the biggest thing is I liked that by the end, they were all able to trust each other and support each other. And in, in a industry like that, it's hard if all everybody that you're working either alongside of, or in the same company or you're competing against that, you're all just, not able to trust each other and out to get each other. <laughs> it just mm-hmm. makes for life to be um that but I also liked how even some of the other like the the songwriter who mm-hmm. turned into a manager like how he was able to kind of find some uh, uh success in his own right and then how Ranju was able to um kind of you know she's not going to be out there singing forever no matter what. And so she was able to kind of come into her own talents of, of a producer and and growing up people without having to worry about them trying to take her place. I think that was the biggest thing for her is having to kind of let that go of like, I'm going to make you the best you can be and not worry about you trying to steal something from me. So it was mm-hmm. kind of nice to see that transition. And K-Drama Jen wants to say <laughs> that <laughs> she just wants everybody to know that Parkun Bin has three new songs that she's putting out there and you should all go listen to them that yes. she I think they were all written I don't think there are songs that she did in this this the, the show I think they're separate different songs that she's actually putting out um I believe she's putting them out and then doing some fan meets in various is. Asian uh, Asian cities and mm-hmm. so a lot of the fan meets in Asia the the performers sing 
which is interesting uh or at least from what i've seen like right. a lot of the Some thai of a lot of the thai that. actors go around and they will sing and that's right. like part of the fan meet and right. so i believe that's in correlation to that and then she is produ- putting it out as well yeah. since there's so much interest in her singing abilities currently because of this role yeah so and i believe right. that's this next week so when this comes out it will already have been out so go look for it All right, so to come away from the more exciting singing part of the story, (laughs) did the abusive father stalker story arc work for us? Anything that we would have changed? Um, It did work for me. And I know some people like the whole him taking his own life and not getting arrested and uh, having to pay for his sins and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, in in the justice sense of it, you want that, but also he's not a part of their life anymore and they never have to worry about him anymore. So like (laughs) me, I'm happy for the family that that is now out of the picture and that they get to just move on. And I, though I'm not sure that this is a realistic of what might happen, um, I'm glad that in this story we were able to see when a um, prosecutor sees what happened for what it was and Mm -hmm. is able to like not punish the family. And one of my favorite parts was the fact that when, uh, Kehoe was brought in, he already had the, he's like, honestly, if the law that you're talking about had been in place when all this stuff happened, we wouldn't have had to do what we did. Therefore highlighting, we needed this law and Mm -hmm. now it's here. And so you have to ju- like that, that should be taken into account on whether you're going to punish us or not, because you like having a family registry where the person, the father is always able to have access to wherever you go and whatever your name is like that doesn't protect anybody, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know? So like the law needed to be there. So I liked that. And this, this writer has done, um, law dramas for it. Not that the the law that they had in um, I Hear Your Voice was ever the most accurate uh, <laughs> <laughs> law stuff or whatever. But at least in this instance, I really like that they highlighted um, the what might what happens when that there's no protections for families in this situation and what, what lengths that you might have to go to to get away from somebody. So I really liked how they did this and I I felt that they perfectly showed how a narcissist would think when confronted that he lost what he saw as his legal rights um, and just the whole he's going to make sure they're miserable and remember him forever but not have to have consequences and that's what he went out to do. And I thought that was seemed very realistic, uh, his stalking. I feel like we don't get enough shows where the stalking feels very realistic. And it did definitely in this that, you know, there was no, no matter what the law said, there was no saving yourself from a stalker kind of thing. And I think um, this was really well done how they did it. And I thought... Like, that is the most horrible thing he could possibly do is to leave them with that last memory of he thought he had killed their father and that they would have to live forever as his children. And, you know, that 
they they would never be able to be taken away from him. Mm. And I thought that was a really interesting way of finishing it. I was kind of wondering if he was going to have like not a redemption arc, but just like a change of heart with that umbrella scene, you know, because I was like, oh, really? Wow. You know, is he going (laughs) off and he's going to like reflect? But no, no. (laughs) the anger was too much there. I really like how they brought that into the story. It really made um, the whole abusive situation have that extra gravitas where it wasn't just a throwaway story arc to create trauma. It Mm -hmm. felt very real with layers. Mm -hmm. And so I really enjoyed it. Yeah, same. It took me a while to understand why in the heck he was so obsessed with having his family all together again, because if they didn't want to be with him, just let it go. But once Drama Geek said he was a narcissist, I'm like, oh, 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 okay, that makes it make sense. Because... I don't have a whole lot of experience with narcissists or abuse in my life, just the lucky little bubble that I live in. And so I just, I was not understanding his villainous motives. And then once she said that, I'm like, okay, I get it. And so the arc worked for us, worked for me for sure. I mean, he was scary. He was downright scary. But I also liked the way that they handled things like Kehoe putting up security cameras everywhere. You know, they did everything right. Even when they held... um the brother back from beating him because mm-hmm. they didn't want the brother to be prosecuted. Even though, you know, in a vigilante sense, of course we want evil dad beaten down because he's been so terrible to this family the whole time. But I think, and then when, when they're all sitting there and the prosecutor kind of, he's nodding along and nodding along as evil dad is spewing his stuff. And then is like, but no, and no, and no, and just to watch the collapse of everything that Evil Dad had built up in his head, mm-hmm. you know, sitting mm-hmm. there thinking, you know, I'm a for- former cop, I understand the law, I'll win, and then he didn't. What I did not understand is why he was not locked up, and how he was able to be on the streets and available to hurt stepdad instead of being in jail. Like, why Why was he not behind bars at that point? Because they what I hadn't, yeah, they hadn't... Um like they hadn't been against him like they didn't go in and file a report against him and Mm -hmm. i'm not sure i think he was saying like that the statute of limitations had run out on the domestic violence that they um had back then so i don't Mm -hmm. know as far now once he stabbed the the dad then you have a whole new thing going on but before that i think they they hadn't anything in and that's the sad part about domestic violence and all of that is like you have to have somebody pressing charges and so Mm -hmm. if they didn't press charges against him and it also again i think and that's why he was so confident was that the statute of limitations had run out on um all that and the case that they were dealing with at the time was the identity theft so that was kind of a separate issue and then with domestic violence, you can't just have somebody be like, oh, he was being abusive. And then they'll go, you have to have the person pressing charges. So, which is why a lot of evidence and right. Yeah. A lot of times it doesn't happen because then, you know, they're scared to do that. So it's a, it's a horrible cycle. Well, and stalking laws are very difficult to also prove. So if they were going after him for stalking, that also is very difficult. (laughs) Yeah. In the present Um, time, he was stalking them for sure. Yeah. And okay. I think they were in process of researching the details of the, the Hornet thing. 
They right. Were, yeah. They were looking into it, but they had not come to a conclusion and they can't just arrest them unless they have enough to go to court on. So Yeah. Yeah, so and he did the stabbing within whole... like a day or two or think of that cuz yeah. they, they had his testimony the the guy that woke up from the hornet attack he testified when they were in there but again that was a different like they hadn't opened a case to bring charges against him for the hornets that would have to be separate so right yeah yeah okay it looks like jen's comment for this uh section has her her, her thoughts have already been given by other people so we'll go on to the next question <laughs> oh i think we should read it because i like the way she put it <laughs> She says, I think they did a great job of showing his obsession with controlling his family and his sense of entitlement and ownership, which is a great way of summing up what I was trying to get to. Mm -hmm. She says, he was truly frightening with his hornets of death and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, the hornets of death I did not see coming. It's just like, who does that? Well, he does. So which characters pissed us off the most in these episodes? And of course, evil dad. But mm. also that seafood cafe owner who's the gossip and who is yelling at her that she can't have her restaurant back. Yeah. That guy yeah. is the absolute worst. The absolute worst. He's such a busybody and such a an jerk. And he's done nothing but cause chaos. And he deserves to get his butt kicked. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. Agree. But she's too busy, you know, conquering the world with her voice. So. Well, I know. Right. But I just... Just oh, people yeah. like that. Like he was so into telling everybody about everything. It was just Oh yeah. yeah. There was no zipper on those lips. And there was no he didn't feel like at all justified or um he had felt no shame for possibly putting people in bad situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He couldn't even see it. His son would would sit there and try to tell him. He's like, I was just telling him stuff. He just wanted to know where his family was. I mean, honestly, it's kind of him buying into the patriarchy that dominated the island and allowed Moka and Kiho to be abused. Right. It felt like he was yeah, part yeah. of that system. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think we're united in the fact that, yeah, he pissed us off. I was also really mad at the CEO, Ronju's CEO, just because, mm. you know, he was sitting there breaking out on his own and then he did everything to undermine her. And I realized later he kind of explained it like. She doesn't necessarily have a head for business, and that's why he didn't want her to take over the company with her shares. But he didn't tell her that. Yeah. He just undercut her and undercut her and undercut her. And then he sent Mocha when she's finally, you know, she signs, and he's like, well, go here to find your songs. And it turns out it's the trash heap of where they put the songs that aren't going to make it. And But then she did something wonderful with the song that she got anyway. And that was, I mean, it was an interesting little story arc, but it was just like, he doesn't really support the people that he's got. Like, what is the point of having a company if you're not going to support your artists? So but I also think he's a product of the institution uh -huh. he's yeah. in because that's how the music studios are. They, mm -hmm. I mean, how many times have we seen a great group that we love get pushed to the side because they have a, a newer, less, like they, they're a group that they have demands, they have things they want because they're ma more mature now, whereas a new group, they can just do whatever they want. And so often you see, oh, that group was so good. What happened to them? Well, they got pushed to the side for the next group that was coming up. And yeah. 
like relegated to the trash heap where they're not getting the money for their um, concerts or their music videos or whatever. I mean, we've seen it so many times. And so I think that's just part of the industry, unfortunately, that they inhabit. And so I feel that that was probably very accurate on how some of it is. And so it was interesting to watch because I'm sure he doesn't think he did really much anything wrong because it was for the best of the company. Right. I guess what makes me mad is the fact that he was striking out and being independent and trying to be different from the others and then to fall into that pattern again. It's like he didn't his course by stealing Ron Drew away from her original CEO and starting their own company like he fell back into the same thing that everybody else was doing. So what was the point? Yeah, I'm sure it's hard. Like you think that you're going to be able to do it differently. And then if the industry doesn't change, then you continue to fall into all of that. Like I think younger people who are still earning out their contracts are much easier to control and all Mm -hmm. of that. So it's, it's just, you have to move on to the next one or whatever. So I, I can't think of anybody besides the two people that you listed that I actually was annoyed at in the second half, I feel like, well, other than of course the evil dad, which was so three people we've mentioned those three people. (laughs) Yeah. But I don't think there was really that many, uh, annoying characters or anything like that. I I think there were moments of like, you know, where a character, like, like the, the other singer where she might've done something that you're like, why are you doing that? But she also had good qualities and redemption. And I, I was okay with hers and I really liked that she was able to kind of grow and all of that. Now the CEO, like, yeah, they tried to make him kind of a good guy. And I just never saw him as more than a representation of kind of what the industry is like and what the industry does and all that kind of stuff. So I didn't really care about if he had a redemption arc or not, but yeah. So I don't know that there was anybody else besides uh, those three people that really annoyed me in the second half that I can remember. So I don't know. Yeah. And Jen agrees with the seafood cafe owner. His busybody ways are directly responsible for so much pain. Direct quote. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) We promised her words would make it in here. So whose performance other than Park and Bin, because she's kind of a given, stood out for us the most in the second half? And I'd have to say it is actually the guy who played the stepfather. So Yu Jung Ok. Yeah. Because at first, in the first half of the drama, he kind of felt like a background character up until mm-hmm. we get the backstory when he saved the mom and the boys. And then you're like, oh, this guy's amazing. Like what he did, the risks he took, the fact that he loved her so much so quickly and just was able to put his entire life, I mean, change his entire life to save this family. Like he all of a sudden he goes from kind of a background, just kind of funny, loving dad to this amazing, almost heroic character. So for for me, it was the stepdad. That would have been my choice, but um, I actually <laughs> really enjoyed um, Kim Hyo Jin's uh, portrayal of Yoon Ranju. Um, I thought that she did a really good job of showing somebody who wasn't always like the nicest person and that really needed to kind of step back a lot and kind of view what her actions and how they affect people. And then she was able to change and grow. And I loved watching how much she kind of fell in love with uh, 
Mocha, like all the rest of us did mm-hmm. and how that, uh, you know, just kind of affected her thought process and the way she was even viewing the world. And then I loved the inclusion of her mom in the second half and seeing her relationship with her mom and how much she loved her mom. I just really enjoyed her performance in the second half. Mm-hmm. And of course, I have to give the shout out to Ranju's mom. She was so great. I loved when she got all fancy with her hat and her sunglasses and strapped herself into her wheelchair and she went off to seize the world. And she's just the best. I loved her and I loved how we learned the story about her name and her performing and um, that scene where she talked with her daughter about giving up, you know, fame and performing and she's like, I had a daughter. I had everything. You know, that was where I wanted to be. Like, this is, again, saying, you know, just being famous doesn't mean that's where your life is going to be the most successful. And her success was as a mother. And I just absolutely adored that whole scene. And the her outfit was the absolute best. She was so glammed up. It was It was delightful. And of course, I loved um, En's performance, Chak Hakyon's. He, I've always really enjoyed him as an actor and post-military, he's really done some good stuff and he was really great in this show. And I kind of, um, he definitely stole my heart. And K-Drama Jen also agrees and says, <laughs> I had second lead syndrome throughout because of N. He was great in this show, and I kind of think she should have ended up with him. The older version of Kehoe didn't really connect with me the way the younger version did. And just a general PSA to all K-drama heroines, just because you met his kids doesn't mean you have to. they have to be endgame. And I have to agree. That is one of the few things I had issue with is it felt like she wasn't really looking at either guy as to who they are now. She was looking for Kehoe from younger and whoever it ended up being that was who she was going to latch on to I felt um it is what it is <laughs> but I do feel like the show set us up for that that she was just looking for Kehoe and not necessarily looking at who people are currently beyond until she found Kehoe and then okay this is who I'm focused on um and performance was great I he was a delight I enjoyed the uh, the other actor's performance and I I wasn't set on who she needed to end up with. And again, trauma bond is there's a lot to say about that. And it's mm-hmm. not like I know that dr- that sh- dramas use that a lot, like their childhood sweethearts and also they lived through some type of trauma. But like he literally saved her from her father and mm-hmm. was beat <laughs> severely <laughs> and could have actually died from being beat by her father um or was it his father that beat him when he found him i can't no it was her it was father her father yeah, yeah yeah and then yeah he, yeah yeah and got on the boat and then he died yeah so um so yeah i i in in this instance again i i can understand <laughs> her thought process she thought about him for and, and they use that as they're like of course i still have feelings for you i waited for you for 15 years so i think 
if they are going to like somebody, they would have to move on from that. And they obviously just never did. So, um, that being said, what were our two favorite scenes of the second half of the drama? And I would say the family scenes, um, especially when, after she, um, kind of moved out, but then came back, like they kind of try to like push her away. So she wasn't a part of the investigation, but Mm -hmm. then once she was able to be brought back and they acknowledged that it didn't matter if she ever ended up with either of their sons, they had taken her in and how much they all loved each other. And I know it's kind of a weird scene to say is one of my favorite, but like the prosecutor scene with Mm. him just saying like, he is their father. He loves them. He's always taking care of them. How much like just the small act of the ex walks in, tries to sit by the wife. He pulls her and sits her to the other side. He sits in the middle. Like it was just such a well-done scene of showing how protective he was how protective and loving the mother was and understanding, like, like you said, how they were separated and how all of that took place and just how devoted of a family they were to each other. So all this, all the scenes with them being such a wonderful, happy family were my favorite in the second half. Uh, For me, I really loved the, and I, there were, excuse me. There were two towards the end that I really liked. Uh, One of the first more subtle ones were when the boys went back to work and they got their new name tags with their Mm -hmm. dad's real name, last name. And they were so proud to have his last name. Oh, I'm like tearing up. (laughs) It was so sweet. Um, And then also the other scene was when she goes back to the gymnasium and she performs as herself. And... (sighs) There's the balloons mm-hmm. everywhere. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, again, I watched those last night. Like it's within 10 hours of when I watched those. So it's still really <laughs> fresh and emotional in my mind. Uh, both of those scenes were so good. So, so good. Mm-hmm. And I really loved the subversion because I remember thinking at the beginning of the drama that, you know, Ronju was going to be jealous of Moka and her success. And then to have that ending scene where she supports her instead. Mm. in spite of the fact that her career did not go the way that she wanted it to it was just that was that was fantastic not my favorite scene though my two favorite scenes are different <laughs> so my first one is when um moka agrees to separate herself from the family and kiho's like by the way i have an apartment and he and it showed how he had actually set up the apartment as soon as he found her and that mm. he made sure that she had everything she needed She didn't have to pay for it. Like the rent was all paid and everything. He just, he made sure that she had a safe place to land. And then their little confession, you know, who searches islands for 15 years Mm -hmm. looking for somebody. And she's like, well, and who, who waits for somebody for 15 years? You know, that kind of thing. I just, it's their, it's their romance and it's very subtle. But what I really love is that his confession came through gestures instead of words and just how much he cared about her because I mean, it wasn't just the apartment. It wasn't just searching the islands, even though that's huge. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was turning in the video for her. It was agreeing to film in the first place. Just everything that he did for her spoke of his love for her without him really saying anything. And I really loved that touch. And then, like, um, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, just for the, I feel like he ended up being the type of, like, partner that his 
dad, not his mm-hmm. biological father, but that his dad was, that he was able to show that type of caring. And it's just so happens that his mom ended up with somebody with a very similar type of like thinking ahead, taking care, making sure that all of that is taken care of. Mm-hmm. And that's what I was going to say. My second favorite scene was, was <laughs> the stepdad slash real dad yeah. who everything that he did like just the pure joy on his face when he's with his family, especially after their names were cleared. Yeah. That was some of my favorite. And K-drama oh. Jen loves every scene where you get to see and hear Park Eun-bin sing. <laughs> <laughs> I think she liked Park Eun-bin's voice just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> okay. So did we like the ending and would we recommend? I have to speak for the ending because again there's so in the middle I was not sure if this was drama was going to make it onto my favorites list or if I was how I was going to feel about it in the end and I think that the way that they pulled off the ending and really focused on the family and the reconciliation and they're getting their their lives back and everything hit it out of the park for me yes I love watching Park Eun-bin sing but to me the that part of the show was what really was the highlight and so I would 100% recommend it's 12 episodes. It's a really easy binge and it's uh, a lot of really good character and family moments. I have to agree. I also would recommend um, maybe if all you want is romance, I wouldn't recommend for those of you who are very focused on the romance. But if you like found families and really solid stories, then definitely is worth watching. It's a, it's again, 12 episodes it's really easy to binge through i did six episodes yesterday so i know (laughs) (laughs) she has the experience to back it up so and i would just have to say same 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 i love found family dramas i did not expect this to become a found family drama and it was just spectacular because of it and the journey i mean Park Eun-bin's character journey you know from being the teenager who wants to sing to actually dominating the stage you know, as an adult in that, like that's, it's good. And it's kind of a feel good aspect, but that's only one facet of the entire drama. And it's really the underpinnings of everything that brought her to that point that make it a really heartfelt story. And so that's why, that's why I would recommend it. It's more than just her succeeding. It's about the people around her as she succeeds. K-drama Jen says, I enjoyed the show. I think it highlighted some fabulous acting and I always enjoy the actor playing young Kehoe. I love that N has such a major role, and I look forward to seeing him in the future. And for me, this was more a musical drama about family connections than about an epic romance, but I still enjoyed it. I would recommend it. And on that note, thanks for joining us. We'd love to hear from you, your thoughts about the episode. You can reach us on Twitter, Facebook, or on our Patreon page. The links are in our show notes. We love blogging about Asian dramas, but behind the scenes, we have so much more to say, and we want to share it with you. And talking is so much faster than typing. <laughs>